they were the largest resident landowner in the, in the Lancaster area. And they continued to own some of these estates right through until the 20th century. In 100 years, 100 objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're delving into the collections to discover objects that can tell us stories about the past and make us think about the present and the future. I'm Millie Wellborn, Museum Assistant at Lancaster City Museums. Today we're looking at a painting. It is a portrait of someone whose name is remembered through the streets of Lancaster and which gives us an insight into a family who lived in the area for over 400 years. Today's object is the portrait of John Dalton. The portrait is just under a metre tall and 90 centimetres wide. It shows John Dalton as an older man, with short white hair and a serious expression. There is nothing depicted in the background of the painting, except a tiny section of the back of the chair he is sitting in, which is upholstered in red. He is wearing a sombre black coat with a white waistcoat and cravat, the only colour in his outfit being a stripe of the red lining of his waistcoat. He has a monocle around his neck and his hand is resting on a book or document on the table in front of him. But this is just one of a series of portraits preserved in our collections, portraits which show other members of the Dalton family. We spoke to James Horton, tour guide at Lancaster Castle, local history teacher and someone who has studied the Dalton family for many years to tell us more about their fascinating story. He started with the portrait we are focusing on today and told us who John Dalton was. John Dalton was a member of the Dalton family who'd lived at Thurnham since the 1550s. He was the last member of the family who actually lived at Thurnham Hall, and after that the house was left more or less empty and unlived in for the rest of its existence, except a little bit in the 1920s, 30s. He's probably the most prominent member of the family in that he was involved in local affairs. He was a member of the Grand Jury, he attended the High Sheriffs, the sort of role you'd expect of a landowner with that amount of wealth, although as a Catholic, until then they would not be allowed to hold such office. Married to a woman who was even wealthier than he, another Catholic landowner's daughter, and he had a quite, quite a large family, but none of them had any children, which is why he, at the end of his life, made a very long will. He was a very organised man, and he lived to the age of 90, and he was still running his own affairs, from what I can gather, until about a month before he died. I've only discovered this in the last few years, that he kept a diary for about 50 years, from certainly from the 1780s through to about 1830. It's not a very interesting diary, as diaries go. It's a, sort of one line. It says, out hunting good sport, out hunting good sport regularly. It's the typical landowner's diary. But it's interesting because of the length of time and the fact he mentions other activities, local things that were happening, like the building of the canal. He mentions travelling on the canal boat from Preston, where it is townhouse, to Lancaster. It also is interesting, it shows how much he travelled around. He would think nothing of visiting his wife's relatives in Suffolk, and he would go to London 
just stay until about three o'clock in the morning and set off to, to drive to Suffolk. He's more well-known in Lancaster than any of the members of the family. And that's because he was living at the time of Lancaster's expansion in the 1750s onwards, and he realised there was a chance to make quite a bit of money by selling off part of his estate as a grand new town in Lancaster. When John Dalton died, he had a ne'er-do-well half-brother. His will actually stipulated who would run the estate for the next 150 years. The 11th on the list would be his half-brother and his descendants. He was a very unpopular man. But over the next 50 years, from 1837 to 1894, the various members of the family died without leaving any children. It's astonishing how many died without children. And in 1894, William Henry Dalton inherited the estate. Was this portrait a good depiction of John Dalton, and does it reflect the man as James has come to understand him? From the diaries, it suggests it was painted about 1816, as was that of his wife, but I've no proof it was that portrait, but I think it probably was. It was painted by James Lonsdale, who was a well-known artist born in Lancaster but lived in London, who painted other local landowners in the area, so he's obviously a well-known figure. He wasn't the greatest artist, and it shows John Dalton at one particular point in his life. I think that's the interesting thing. We see this man, this man in his early 70s with bald head, looking very solemn, but that was only him at that time. He'd obviously lived a very long life, and our image of him is from this particular portrait, which I think is a little bit misleading, really. But John Dalton was not the first of the family to live in the area. In fact, he had Lancastrian ancestors stretching back over 200 years. We asked James to tell us a little more. When I first became interested in this many, many years ago, I assumed they were a relatively poor landowning family in South Lancashire. I knew they lived in South Lancashire at Bispam, near uh, Ormskirk. And I assumed they were not particularly wealthy, but then when I looked at it later, I discovered they were a much more powerful family than I imagined. You can tell that by looking at the people they married into, like the Molyneux and, and so on. In 1554, Robert Dalton, who was the then head of the household, was married to a woman called Anne Kitchen, and his wife was a very useful person to be married to, because Anne Kitchen's father worked for Henry VIII in charge of dissolving the monasteries, and was responsible for selling off the monastic lands in the Lancaster area, including Cockersand Abbey and by some strange coincidence, happened to acquire the Cockersand Abbey lands for himself. He then settled them on his son-in-law, Robert Dalton. And then in 1556, Robert Dalton, who already owned Cockersand Abbey, which was not a particularly large area of land, bought Thurnham Hall. He didn't sell off the other lands, as I imagined at one time, but kept them. So he owned both land in Thurnham and the lands in South Lancashire. Over the next few years, he and his descendants were adding to their estates by buying lands in Lancaster. He acquired land that had belonged to Lancaster Priory. They also bought the Bulk Estate, which is the area between Lancaster, Skirton Bridge and the motorway. They also bought the Oakcliffe Estate, so they owned most of the land to the east and west of Lancaster. That probably determined how Lancaster developed over the next 200 years. It was squeezed on either side, so it could only develop north and south. They were the largest resident landowner in the, in the Lancaster area. And they continued to own some of these estates right through until the 20th century. When you get to John Dalton, the one and the, and the portrait, his father was already a very wealthy man who left Thurdham and moved to Bath in 1770s. And John Dalton, from that period on, was in charge of the estates.
Being Catholic, in a time when the religion was restricted or outlawed in England, played a big part in how some people lived their lives and the roles that they could fulfil in society. We wanted to find out more about how this affected the Daltons. Religion was obviously important to the Dalton family through the whole period until the 1890s when they were no longer Catholic, when it didn't matter anymore. I've already mentioned that even though they remained a staunchly Catholic family, they were not averse to gaining property when the monasteries were dissolved. Because of the religion, they were always slightly on the edge of society, although in Lancashire that would be less the case given that so many of the landowners were Catholics. There is an account in the 1620s and they were obviously being spied on by the government because there's a reference to a hunting party on Cormor Moor and amongst the group there it mentions Mr Dalton. It refers to him as a, as a meeting of recusants pretending to be a, a hunting party. So it looks to me as if they were being kept an eye on. In the 1600s there was a Lancashire plot, a Catholic plot, to change religion, take over the country. Mr Dalton, one of the Dalton family, was arrested, accused of involvement in the Lancashire plot. It says in one of the accounts, he was taken to Manchester, but then it was dismissed or he was allowed to go home, so there must not have been enough evidence against him. Or, as I found later, they had friends in high places, one or the other. They paid fines as Catholic landowners. They also, we can see how much involved they were by the fact that there was a priest hall at Thurnham Hall. The sisters of Thomas Dalton were given the life tenancy of Old Cliff Hall. By 1674, there were only two sisters surviving and they put up a stone, which is actually a very brave thing to do, always referred to as the Catholic Virgin Stone. And it was in Latin and it said, Catholic virgins are we with the times we scorn to change when the Jacobites invaded in 1715. John Houghton Dalton, he was approached by the Earl of Derwentwater, who went to his house to twist his arm to persuade him to join the rebels. And he was persuaded, or so he said at his trial, to join the rebels. It ended in Preston with the end of the rebellion and John Houghton Dalton being arrested. He was taken to London, held for nine months or more, waiting trial. At the end of the trial, he pleaded guilty, but he was kept in prison for another four years. In 1719 he was released, having paid a fine of, they say, about £5,000, which is a huge amount of money. The story that is told by the family is that on his release he was so impoverished, his wife had to dismiss all the servants and she was picking up sticks at the back of the, of the house for firewood. I don't believe this can be true. If he can afford to pay a fine and has friends, I think it's highly unlikely. But this is a family story that was told. When he died, he seemed to have regained his wealth and had left a sizeable fortune. In the shields in the Shire Hall at Lancaster Castle showing all the local elite, there is only one Dalton member, and it's from the late 1500s. After that, as Catholics, they weren't allowed to be on that wall until the Catholic Emancipation Act, and at that point, John Dalton was already in his late 70s. So they weren't holding the roles that you'd expect them to, to hold. But John Dalton, he lived at a time of change, which I think is interesting. When the old rules and the old restrictions were disappearing, he became Deputy Lieutenant of Lancashire. He was on the Grand Jury. So he obviously had begun to play a role that wouldn't have been expected from them earlier. For most people who know Lancaster, when they hear the name Dalton, they think of Dalton Square, a prominent square to the east of the city centre. So what is the connection between the Dalton family and the square? I've already mentioned that the Daltons were acquiring lands in Lancaster so that by the late 1600s, early 1700s, they were owning most land east and west of Lancaster. The smallest estate was the Fryridge estate. It shows on maps, on Speed's map, if you look at the Macris Massillator, you'll see this space on the edge of town 
with what looks like a farmhouse and buildings, which is the old friarage. By the 1780s, Lancaster was very prosperous and was, again, short of space for building. And John Dalton put forward a plan to develop his friarage estate as a grand new town. I think it was probably a mixture of a way of making money, but I think it was also a prestige thing as well. I think it was a mixture of the two. And he put forward a plan, and it showed all the lots with numbers on them, and they were offered for sale. Many were sold and bought by speculators who were buying them, hoping to sell at a profit, which in the early days they probably did. But some of them, in the later period, would not be able to sell them because there are plots left without any houses on them. And that's because the the prosperity from the port finished in about 1800s, that sort of period. There were very strict rules about how the estate would be uh, developed. Around Dalton Square in particular, the houses had to be three storeys high. They had to be set back behind railings. They were not allowed to be any steps going up onto the street. The person buying them was responsible for the paving of the pavement area, but the Dalton estate was responsible for the street. It also stipulated there would be a grand square in the centre. His family had lived in Bath. He obviously knew about these things. He'd travelled to London. It's the, it's the fashionable thing at the time. The other thing that's important in terms of why the Daltons are remembered is because of the name of that estate. John Dalton named the square Dalton Square. The street that now is the busy street running south from Lancaster, rather modestly described as Great John Street. There's Mary Street after his wife, there's Sullyard Street, who is his sister, Robert Street, who is his father. They're all named after the names of the family or the estates that they own. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We do hope you will listen again when we will be talking about everything from suffragettes to shrouds.